It's almost Thanksgiving and I get the call. My mother is reading the morning newspaper. She says it's about Jimmy. And I know. Hey there, and welcome to Grit, True Stories That Matter, a weekly podcast on the art and craft of the personal narrative story. Each week, my partner Sean and I tackle one topic or question and answer it as best we can to help you craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, more memorable stories. True stories, personal stories, grit stories. This week, our feature storyteller is none other than Sean. That's right, my podcast partner, Sean Wellington, which is why I'm doing the intro this week. Sean lives in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and he has a story that's about nine minutes long. And stick around after Sean's done, as Sean and I will tackle this week's topic, tone, and the importance of tone in every story. And keep in mind that... In storytelling, some words we use mean the same as others, so while we're talking about tone, we also call it voice and even style. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. And I want you to know, Sean's a man who wears many hats, and one is the hat of producer. And this Sunday, January 17th at 7 p.m., live-streamed on Facebook and on Zoom, he's putting on another one of his 7x7 storytelling shows. Very popular. And he has a lineup of some of the best storytellers around today. Check out the show notes to find out how to tune in. And finally, I, Kurt Mullen, I'm now offering one-on-one coaching services in performance, public speaking, presenting, and storytelling. Skills that can help in all phases of your life. Check out the show notes to get my email address and I can give you as much information about this stuff as you could ever want. Would love to work with you, by the way. Okay, thank you. Thank you, everybody. Now let's dive in. My best friend committed suicide a few days before Thanksgiving, just shy of his 27th birthday. His name was Jimmy, and I asked the question that almost everyone asks when they lose someone this way. Why? I meet Jimmy in college, freshman orientation, University of Buffalo. We're both Suffolk County, Long Island guys, so we become very close very quickly, Hanging out, chasing girls, spring break in Cancun. And then, one day in late spring, he disappears. Doesn't say goodbye. Why would Jimmy leave like that? I mean, not even a goodbye? When I reconnect with him that summer back on Long Island, I ask him about it. He smiles. Tells me he had some kind of health scare. Hmm. But I give him some space. I mean, that's what friends do, right? When I transfer to college in Florida and he stays on Long Island for school, our friendship grows. When I move to Atlanta after school and he becomes a cop in New York City, our friendship grows. Even when I move to Japan to teach English, it grows for eight years despite distance. It just keeps growing. 
And now that I am back from Japan, it's my first time in more than a year, I'm gonna hang out with Jimmy. I mean, it's a given. This is what I always do when I come back. Always, Jimmy. But he's busy. And he's not returning my calls. He's disappearing again. And I'm wondering why... Why would he do that? Why would you not return my calls? When I finally reach him and ask him what's going on, I can hear his smile through the phone and he says he's got some stuff going on at work. And I give him some space. That is what friends do. On my final night before I'm returning back to Japan, well, finally we hang out. He comes to my child at home. We're going to watch these VHS tapes I've made from my life in Tokyo. I'm sitting on the living room floor, and he's behind me on the couch. And now normally Jimmy would be excited about something like this. He'd be asking questions, cracking jokes. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't say anything. I look back, and his eyes are closed. I don't know how long they've been this way, and I'm thinking, come on, man. I haven't seen you in over a year. We're just hanging out now. I've been back for more than a week. And you're sleeping? And I noticed something I hadn't noticed before. It's his hair. Jimmy has got this great head of hair. Jet black, perfectly manicured. But tonight, it's uneven. It's choppy. I wake him up. This time I don't ask him what's going on. But I know something's up. And we're at the top of my driveway, and I know he's got to get an early start at the precinct. And I also know he's, he's going to be okay. I mean, he's got family and friends. He's got that girlfriend. What Jimmy doesn't know, because I don't tell him, is that my life, my life is a whole lot better with Jimmy in it. And so I say, hey, Jimmy, why don't you come to Japan? Take some time off the grind, you know? And there's a pause. I can tell he's not really hearing me. I can get you a job teaching. We'll meet some girls. It'll be fun. He smiles. He says, yeah, yeah, I'll think about it. And we hug and he leaves and I return to Japan. And a week later, it's almost Thanksgiving. I get a call. My mother's reading the morning newspaper. She says it's about Jimmy. And I know. One bullet. Self-inflicted. Never says goodbye. And just like that, eight years of our friendship, it's frozen. And I ask that question that almost everyone asks when they lose someone this way. Why? Why? A few months later, when I'm back in the States, I visit his grave with his dad, and we have a real nice talk. And I think about Jimmy. I miss him. Sometimes he visits me in my dreams. But my life goes on. I still ask why, but less and less, and at some point Jimmy and all his stuff, the photographs, the letters, the postcards, they go into a box, a blue cigar box. And now I'm living in New York City, teaching high school, and I am battling some of my own demons, I'm getting by as best I can. 
It's late summer and I'm at a restaurant with a friend. We're having Italian food and drinking some red wine. And I start to feel sick. It's no big deal. I wait it out, but it doesn't go away. So eventually I go to a doctor's. He tells me I'm fine. All the tests are negative. But the thing is, it's not fine. Because I still feel sick. This thing isn't going away, so I visit more doctors. And when they ask me, what does it feel like? I have a hard time telling them. I say, well, it's a little bit like I'm underwater. And like I have acid running through my veins. And there's more to it, of course. More than I've ever been able to explain to any doctor or anyone else. This thing, it comes and goes. And now that it's coming, it's coming more often and more intensely. And summer turns into fall and then winter. And because of this thing, I'm, I'm losing friends. I'm not dating. I can't do the things I enjoy. I'm just barely holding on. And still, no one knows what it is, where it came from, or how long I'm going to have it. And then I lose my teaching job. And now I'm in my early 30s, and I start to think about something I've never thought about before. I don't want to do this or be here anymore. Not like this. Sometimes I would think about how I was going to do it, how I was going to end my life. And in those moments, always, I'd think about Jimmy. Sticking that gun in his mouth with his finger on the trigger, and I I get it. I get it. I get walking to the very edge of that building. I get putting the razor blade to your wrist. I get shoving a bunch of pills in your mouth. I get it. I get coming that close. And one night, I'm in my bedroom. And I'm feeling done. And I open the box. That blue cigar box. By now, Jimmy's been gone as long as we were friends. And so I'm reading the letters and the postcards, and I'm looking at some of the photos I have of him. He's smiling. He's got that perfect jet black hair. And I close my eyes, and Jimmy and I are back on the top of my driveway. Eight years ago, that night before I returned to Tokyo. Hey, Jimmy, why don't you come to Japan? Take some time off of the grind. And there's a pause. I can tell he's not really hearing me. And I get it. I get it now. I couldn't before. He's in pain. And when I knocked on his dorm room door, and his roommate told me he had left, just disappeared. And all those years later, when he was on my couch, and I'm sure he was trying to stay awake. And who knows how many moments in between. Pain. Not a toothache kind of pain or a sprained ankle kind of pain. An all-caps pain. The kind of pain that has you get to work real early and walk into a bathroom stall. And eat your gun. That's what they call it. And now that I've tasted that kind of pain, well, I stop asking why, and I start asking how. Not how Jimmy died. 
that I know, but how he was able to live for so long in that kind of pain. And sometimes, sometimes, even with a smile. Love you, bro. We get this this story from Sean, and, and, and it's not on paper. It's Sean performing it as well. There's very little variation from the tone. He has a certain tone, which I really appreciate. It's fine. Like, the details are fine. It's, it's, it's a minimalist story, and you give us enough detail to understand who you two are and maybe to understand some of what's going on here. I don't want to sound pretentious and throw the word art around all the time, but seriously, mm-hmm. like sometimes in a work of art, it throws up, kicks up more questions than it does answers. Mm-hmm. And that's what can be completely beautiful about it. You listen to a story like this and you walk off and you're like, huh, if you get to the end of a story and you found yourself being judgmental and then that judgmentalness breaks off, and you're wondering, and you and you want to know more, or you want to know how you would be in Sean's shoes, or I think that's a, that's a success. You don't have to have all the answers. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but this story definitely has a, a tone that commands attention, okay? And it comes from, I don't know what, and I want to ask you, like, what is it in your reflection of your friend? It, it almost seems like it just comes naturally. What is it that you're doing there, tone-wise? I'm not sure I was even aware of that. You pointed it out. I appreciate that. I love love to hear things that are working, of course, from the story, its tone, its craft, whatever. I'm just a guy who wrote a story and I deliver it. Is it intentional? I suppose, but I've been doing it long enough where I have to think about it less. One thing for me that I think I, I do my best and it feels kind of natural is that I sort of try to share the story when the story's happening. So it kind of informs the way I'm delivering it. Not always. So I'll give you an example. And again, I don't know if this is working for the listener. They they might not like it. That's cool. I'm I'm down with that. But I'm pissed off. I want to be a little pissed off. Right? I'm a little pissed off at Jimmy. I'm not going to say that with a huge smile on my face. I'm a little pissed off. What the fuck? Uh, For me, uh, that makes sense. There are other moments in which I think, just say the words. Communicate with the audience what's happening. Sometimes when we do a story, we don't even have to think about, you know, what tone we're going to do it in. We're just telling a story yeah. from somewhere, some feeling, right? I mean, there's one tone in this story, but the story deserves the one tone. It complements the content. The content is dark. You're like, this is what happened. The dude, and then Jimmy's disappeared and I was pissed. Right. And he's falling asleep when he should be Jimmy. And I'm pissed. I haven't seen him, you know, and I don't I don't really like that. You know, what are you right. supposed to do? There are no there's no room for levity here. OK, so it, it's just interesting how, Sean, you don't have to think about that. I remember one time someone was saying there's thought that goes on that's intellectual and then there's belly thought. 
Mm. And one thing that I love about storytelling is it is an intellectual thing, but man, there's just a lot that can really just come from your belly and people will appreciate it. When you get a sense of the feeling or the energy of the entire piece, and I don't know exactly where that comes from, but I have a sense of it for this piece. And I believe uh, the tone matches that. But part of it's just my intention. Part of it's just my natural way of being in the world. And part of it's reflective of this piece about my best friend who ended his life. And my life went on until it didn't. And that story, and it comes out of my mouth into your ears. And maybe, maybe it affects you in some way. And part of what affects you, presumably, is the way it's told. Yeah, that's Sean Wellington telling... Yeah. We all got a little style. I think the more uh, you you do this, anything, but but we're talking about this stuff, obviously, that becomes a little bit more crystallized. You get a little better sense of your style. And even when you're breaking away from your style, it's still kind of your style. You, Kurt, have a style. I've heard enough of your stories. You got a little style going on. It's a little different than mine. A little different than some of our that our other uh, the other tellers we've had on the the podcast, right? Yeah, this is this is interesting. All of them, you go all what is it nine or ten storytellers we've had so far? It's they, they've all got this sort of uniqueness to them, and where that's born, I don't necessarily know, but it's there. And you gotta, I think it's important to lean into it. I like to think about style uh, as something that can also change. And you're exposed to more storytellers than I with all your different events and everything. Have you seen, and you don't have to be super particular about it, but uh, have you seen some people work with their style and take risks and change their style over time? I would say yes. And no buts, right? And (laughs) I'd love to see more of it. Take chances. Try some stuff out, especially if it's just, you know, practice. Uh, but even if it's not, try stuff. I really like to think that anybody can go in any direction that they, you know, as long as it's sort of natural to them. What, what's natural is probably more than what most of us think. We, we could go bigger or more or try more stuff. It'll still be you. Don't worry. It's still you. I remember when I first started teaching, I didn't know how to be a teacher. I mean, so what I'm doing, you're talking about uh, like in Japan years ago, I was teaching in Japan. I was teaching in other places. I taught in New York. I was teaching high school. And what were you teaching? When I was in other countries, including Japan, I was teaching English as a second language. In New York, I was teaching social studies. My point is when I started teaching, even though I was in my, I was getting a master's and blah, and I had taught a little bit before, but I started teaching high school. But even if we go back to Japan, which is my first teaching gig, I didn't know how to be a teacher. I'm going by what I thought teachers act like. And I, there was, for lack of a better word, I didn't have a voice until I taught enough. And I sort of found Sean and teacher Sean became one person. I think it's the same for storytellers. You're new to this. What's the tone that I want to convey, you don't, I don't know. I think you got to just try stuff and maybe you're going by some tellers that you like and you're sort of taking on something they're doing and you just try stuff and eventually like you become one with that thing that wasn't one with you, which sounds super new agey. It's really about like, it's about liking what you're up to. It's about self-acceptance finally. So Mm. there's a lot of, what's the word? There's a lot of like stutter stepping 
with a beginning writer, a beginning storyteller, because they're not really sure that they want to put this forth or this is them or, and I went through all of that. And yeah, I finally got to a place when, when I was in my thirties, I'm 48 now, when I was in my thirties, I was teaching adults, what I call creative nonfiction, not just me, but a lot of people call it that. And what I realized was they didn't go through these. These are people who have retired from careers mostly, and they don't go through this like awkward stage. Because they've been on the planet so long that they right. couldn't imagine telling the story in any other way except their way. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's neither here nor there. They're older people and they're writing uh, stories for their grandchildren mostly. A lot of people that we're interfacing with are just like really trying to get their heads around what storytelling is and where they can go with it and how they can be. What's awesome is how they can be just good at it. That's the type of person a lot of times who tunes into a podcast like this. And so it's good to have a conversation about style and how it can be ever changing. It's it's Mm got to be that, you know, there's no one place to land. It has to be infinite, like the horizon for something to be uh, sustainably interesting to us. So uh, given that, you know, earlier you said this is not finished. And I like that you say that. I'm curious, do you have any idea of like where this could go be longer again or? This can definitely be a longer story. That could be 12 minutes, 15 minutes. It could be an hour. This is, this could be a skeleton. You know, like you said, it's kind of minimalist and that might, for some people that probably won't work. They want more. I want more of how you're feeling in that moment. I want more depth. Uh, This is feedback we give to students and people all the time. More. What are you feeling in that moment? Tell me more. Give me an example. Hey, Kurt, I want to pop back into tone and delivery for a moment. I hear people who, are, who the crafting isn't there and they over emote and they feel as if if they give you the energy or the emotion in their voice and they go over the top like a bad actor, you're going to get it. And I think, no, spend more time crafting and recrafting. That's where you want to spend your time. I think worry less about how you're delivering it. Your default should be just deliver the story start your baseline with just say the words you do it enough you craft you recraft you get some feedback you'll find the texture you'll find the tone you'll hone in on voice and style well earlier when i was asking you about like hey was this a decision that you made to to come out with this tone and you said something like well i just wanted to get really close to the way that it was yeah. And I think that's really instructive. Storytelling is really about the storytelling teller being really close to the emotion of the moment when you're performing it to be back in that situation of when it happened, when you got run off the road, when you flunked out of college, when you woke up in the bushes on Cape Cod and didn't know where you were. You know, it's like, okay, what is that like? Okay, what, what was it like to be so disoriented? Okay, bring yeah. that to the story. Bring that to your voice. That shows up in your tone. With storytelling in particular, unlike theater, it's all—it's almost all about your voice, especially on Zoom, right? We can look a certain way. We can pause, certainly. I mean, we can, uh, our eyes can do a certain thing into the camera. You could play around a little bit with blocking if you get creative. But this is really voice-heavy, voice-centric. The words are coming out of your, your, your mouth. We're going to hear those words. What do they sound like? What do the sentences sound like and how do they connect? And it matters, man. It really matters how you do it. (laughs) 
the most impressive stories and you've got it going on in your story is when like one sentence after another just seems to be laid down like tile that just belongs. Yeah. Well, that's nice of you to say about the story. I mean, I'm not as kind to my own story as you are being. I actually have probably I, as as most people who craft and tell a story, especially one that is, you know, uh, perhaps more meaningful. I'm thinking, oh, my God, am I going to go public with this thing? People are going to hear this. I always think this way, even though I've done it a bunch. Oh, my God. What are they going to think? What are they going to say? They're going to criticize me. I seriously think this all the time. I fortunately am at the point in my life now where I can just say, fuck it. Put it out there. Yeah. It doesn't matter if they love it or they don't love it. This is for the blah, 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 blah. But man, and I think about my students and they're newer to this. People who might be listening to this or come to other things that you or I or both of us are involved in. I got to remember that, man. Okay. Yeah, I got an answer. You know, I would say fuck it. But as you know, I never swear. And, yeah, but the thing that that happens is some people are going to love it and some right. people aren't it happens every time. And Absolutely. so it's just about doing this story and then doing the next one. And some people are going to be like, Sean Wellington, someone I want to pay attention to. He's for me. There's some <laughs> great, great musicians that you don't have the time in the day for. You don't yeah. want to hear Eric Clapton anymore. <laughs> other people are like Eric Clapton's God, you know? Probably true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just about you. It's about our relationship with ourselves. I think, I mean, if you want to get all candles and sandals about it, it really, it really is just about being a little bit, you know, like this is what I got. Yeah. This is as truthful as I can be with myself. And maybe some of you people are, are really going to connect with it. And it's all about connection and the people who are really listening, they're going to come up with some great stories. Maybe one of them's kicked off by this one. You know? Perhaps without apology, right? I don't want to have to apologize for anything I'm doing or saying in my story. And I'm not. No. And, and by the way, I mean, I know we're podcast partners and everything, but there is no apology. When you take on something that's difficult, it's sort of like, look, it's just built in. There are no guardrails. There's no safety. You're just like, this is probably the hardest thing that knocks around in my brain from time, you know, day in and yeah. day out. So I'm going to take this on. Some people say, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to think about that anymore. And they might stuff it away. So the hallmark of a good storyteller, I think, is someone who wants to take on difficult stuff. That's the kind of stories that we always go for with grit. When I reach out to a storyteller and I have to define what it is, is a grit story, it's usually that, look, we like emotionally challenging things. I also want to say at this point that there will be laughs at grit. There will be stories that have a little levity. We're not working for a funeral home here, but we, we're just going to let that happen naturally. You find the humor in it, but it's still got that grit and that heart. Those are, can be very challenging to craft, but man, when they do it and they get it right, so good. Yeah. There's one thing you have to skip over. It's like the idea that you're trying too hard. Yeah. You know, to, to reframe a story and say, oh, okay, this serious story did have some levity to it, some funny parts. You've got to really have a handle on it so you don't come off as really forcing it. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, I thought about that with this story, and it does connect to, 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 sto to tone, excuse me, or um, style. Where is the levity or humor here? And I actually just chose, like, nah, I don't think so. Not this time.
but maybe it could be. Yeah, right. Next time I could crack it again and tweak some stuff and add it. And maybe, maybe that'll be a, of a different flavor to it or a little different texture. There was a, um, he's long since dead, but a, a, a novelist called uh, Malcolm Lowry and he's cr- crazy tormented classic one of those writers, right? He would go into a bookstore and take his own books off the shelf and take a pen out and just start like changing the word, <laughs> crossing out words even That's long right. after it was published. I like that you say, I think it's a good sign that you say this isn't done. You know, they're it's not never going to be done. Man. Yeah. Look, I mean, that it was done for this particular thing in the podcast, right? Yeah. That version is done for now. But yeah, I like revisiting stuff, playing around with it a little bit. As two two people, two fans of storytelling, like, how did this land on you? You know, and I know that you're the storyteller this week. So one thing I've noticed with people, so you lost someone really important to you and the the guy was way too young to die. Okay. So uh, one thing I've noticed with people who have a situation like this where they've lost somebody way too young is it can be in the afterlife, that person, it's not like they just go away and we knew them completely and thoroughly. No, they go away and the conversation becomes tricky, one-sided. I'm listening to your story and I, I find that part, that's the pathos in the story. That's the part that makes me want to listen to it a third time, a fourth time. It's just sort of like, oh, I like that Sean tells this story, whether he intended it or not. It's like a tribute to somebody who's gone. Mm-hmm. His, his life wasn't lived in vain. Jimmy is, in a way, he's there, right? He's recorded. He's there. We, we, we're talking about him 20 yeah. years plus. When you say that this story will continue to change, is that related to this phenomenon, I guess, of how a, a person who's deceased can, in our view, continue to sort of bedevil us or, or change? It might be. Questions? I think I would do that. I do that. I take this attitude with most stories, not just this story, but this one means more, a little more than some of the other ones I've crafted. And uh, I think part of it's about keeping him alive. And I think part of it's about keeping Sean, Jimmy's friend alive. You know what yeah. I mean? I like myself as Jimmy's friend a lot. <laughs> that I laugh, but that's a, that's like a smile. You know what I mean? I really liked for the most part, the Sean that I was with Jimmy. And that's one reason why we end up gravitating towards and spending time with people. We like ourselves with that person. There's a lot of people then and now I don't really like myself around. I'm not sure why exactly. I just, Mm. look, I don't. It doesn't always seem easy to identify really why you have this connection. And I'm not getting super ethereal that's the right word. I, I, you know, look, look some, there's some friends I have where I could say, man, she is so funny and she understands my humor and she's loyal and we could ascribe some adjectives and that's great. I, could, I can't really do that with him. I just, I can't. And that's one of the reasons why I think I had a guy, when I talk about it, sometimes it's a bit minimal because it's like, I just, I don't have all the words that you might be looking for as to why. Mm-hmm. What I know is every time I came back, we hung out all the time. I didn't have anybody else like that. It was a given. When are you coming over? Not if. When are you coming over? Done. Not maybe we'll hang out. When are we hanging out? <laughs> what, Sean, you're coming back on Monday night? Cool. Tuesday. 
Done. I had nobody else like that in my life, ever. So you can bet your ass when somebody treats me that way. And of course, I enjoy hanging out with them. Don't really think I've ever had anyone in my life like that since. When that changed, when it wasn't an absolute given, hmm, okay. I'm not hurt. I'm hurt. I'm not angry about it. I'm angry about it. I mean, like I, you, th- that's the conflict. It, wait, Jimmy's not calling me back? I don't understand. That doesn't res. I don't get what's happening. Jimmy isn't that guy. Jimmy always calls back. Jimmy always finds time. Are you talking about when he was alive and checked out from time to time? Right. Got it. Because most of it, and this is what's tricky in the story, Kurt, you don't get to hear all the other stuff because all the other stuff is, it's a given. You're coming back into town on Monday. We're hanging out on Tuesday or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Back and forth, hanging out, his house, my house, going out, doing this, doing that, taking a ride, going to the bar, going to the beach, hanging out with this girl, hanging, going to the city. Yeah, I get it. Yeah? I, I like that you don't, well, maybe a little bit now outside of the story, to be honest. But I, I also, I like that you don't overdo it because I've heard some younger guys talk about their their guy friends and I'm like, this isn't half as interesting as you think it is. Yeah, I know. That's one thing. But looking right, backwards, right. I can trust you because you have perspective. And as I'm listening to you right now and Jimmy's like, you back Monday? I'll see you Tuesday. I'm like, is it that as human beings, we belong to one another, you know, more than we do places and institutions and whatnot. And, you know, especially people come from broken homes, like in come out in the world and they're like, put their families together with friendships, you know, mm-hmm. and loyalty yeah. is very important. You know, I get that, Sean, I, I get, and I definitely, I feel like I've, I don't pretend to know what it's like, but I have, I feel like after the story in this conversation, I have a fuller sense of the loss that you, you've endured and now preserved the yeah. life that you're sort of, we're talking about now. What resonated most with you? Just from a human being, Kurt Mullen. It's as your friend, the understanding of suicide that you convey. Hmm. It said that we all sort of understand self-destruction or the impulse to no longer be alive. And when I listen to your narrative, I feel like uh, you're way more familiar. And I also know about your other podcasts. So it doesn't seem exotic to me. And by that, I mean, it doesn't seem like, oh, oh, wow, here's this guy and no one else is like him. No, I, I really see us all as having commonality. That's where I start my understanding of humanity. But yeah, I definitely hear that you are more in tune or attuned to this sort of this malaise like that Jimmy lived sort of discomfort or unease with the way what life gives us day in and day out. You don't say that stuff, but as I'm listening, especially the second time, I'm thinking that way. Hmm. We feature stories that are sort of grit stories. Somebody's listening. They want to write, I want to write a grit story. I want to craft something. I want to tell it. Maybe even I'll pitch it to the podcast. I don't know. But I want to go back for a moment and thinking about that. Somebody or people out there might want to give it a shot or take an old piece and revise it. But also adding the idea of what would you say to somebody who wants to to craft and tell a story like this, especially around 
style and tone and voice? It's not about having all the answers. It's about phrasing the question in the right way. So that lets you off the hook. We're not writing term papers for biology too. It's, this is a reflection on something that happened to you that you were a part of. You don't need to have all the answers. So if you want the driver of your narrative to be a question that for years has gone unanswered, good start. Mm. And Sean, thanks for sharing that story. That's exactly what I have in mind when we talk about grit stories. That's that's difficult stuff to take on. I appreciate that you did that. My pleasure, man. I'm happy to, uh, well, it's one of those stories that I always will have and I'm tweaking away. So yeah, I'm glad yeah. that I could share it, man. Thank you for having me, Kurt. Oh yeah. It's, it's a pleasure to have you on our podcast and <laughs> you, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing other versions in the future, but for now, this one is, I'm glad to have this one. All right, Sean, let's get back to work. Boom. Thank you so much for listening. And special thanks to my podcast partner, Sean Wellington, for this week's story. So glad we got to do that. Remember, Sean has a big online storytelling show this Sunday, January 17th. To find out how to tune in, check out those show notes. And if you want one-on-one coaching, if you're thinking being a better storyteller, being a better communicator will make you more successful at work and everywhere else, I think you're right. Reach out. I'd love to work with you. Check those show notes for my email address. Hey, and a quick favor. If you listen to this podcast on Apple, please rate and review this podcast. It really does help us. Hey, and next week, we got a new teller and a new topic. So we hope to see you here. Have a great week, everybody. Boom.